Carson in left side to the middle. What a move by Philip Forsberg. One of the best from Scoresburg. It's the podcast that loves the hockey team you love. Saro stops him with the blocker. This is the Predators official podcast with Kara Hammer and Max Herz. For the empty net and hits it on a bounce. On 102.5 and 106.3 The Game and NashvillePredators.com. The final POP of January is here on 102.5 and 106.3 The Game, your favorite podcast platform and NashvillePredators.com. My name is Max Herz from Preds Radio with Kara Hammer from Preds TV to recap a fun alumni week for the Preds. We had the inaugural team in the house. We will interview David Legwan, the Preds' first ever draft pick, and hear from almost everybody who was in the building this week on Monday for inaugural team night. That'll come up in our second segment. That was a fun day, Kara, and a fun week despite the fact that the Preds continue to basically only be on the road. We missed them. We did miss them, but I love the alumni night, you know, the inaugural team night, because I love the new alumni wall that the Preds have implemented. I mean, if you are a fan and you have not yet checked it out, and maybe you haven't because it's pretty much brand new, but there is a puck of every single player that ever played for the Nashville Predators, and they are hoping that all these guys come and sign the puck. And when we arrived, there was already a few signatures, right? Like, Pecorine was on there, Mark Borbietsky, because these guys were in the building when the wall was going up. But then to watch the inaugural guys come and sign their names, like, it's so cool. I remember when uh, Sean Henry was dedicating this, talking about what they were going to implement. You're kind of wondering how it was going to be and what they were going to do. And I think it blew all expectations out of the water. Yeah, we definitely encourage you guys to go see it. It is on the concourse of level three at the arena, which is one of the club levels, the level below the 300 level. So on your way up to your seats, make a stop on level three. It's by the main bay of elevators that leads up to the press box side. Give a whole walk around the Gary Force Acura level, level three. And they've also got on the other side of the wall, the panels that used to be outside the Preds locker room highlighting great moments in franchise history. So go on and see it at any home Preds game going forward and keep track of all the signatures going up. And there's already some whispers going around, Hammer, that uh, Hal Gill is going to host a really big event for his signing of his alumni puck on the wall. It's going to be huge. Oh, I haven't heard about this. Yeah, uh, they're coming out in dozens, maybe even hundreds. (laughs) But you will definitely be invited. I hope so. They might need a bigger hallway for skills and signing. <laughs> yeah, I hope his puck's on the bottom of the row, just for the funny imagery. <laughs> it was really neat, though. I was, uh, I thought it was so cool. And it was kind of neat to see all these players back in the building. You know, there was a handful of guys, obviously. David Leguan, who we're going to have coming up on the show. Jay Moore, who we all know because he's been, you know, working in the broadcast booth. But then to see players like... Cliff Ronning back in the building. Some of these guys said it was only their second time back in Bridgestone since their playing days were over. Yeah, and I think the most special part about it, the majority of the players played either just that first season with the Preds or even just part of that first season with the Preds and were traded away or, in Jay's case, suffered a career-ending injury, sadly. And these guys are honored like royalty despite playing fewer than 100 games for the team. It's... Special. It's part of what makes the Preds special. We'll hear from Andrew Brunette as well, who was a member of that inaugural team, coming up in the second segment on that specific point as well. But first, we've got three games of the current day Preds to recap. Back-to-back losses to start off the week, Kara. First in Arizona, Predators lost 3-2 to two in a game where they couldn't cover the backside, gave up three backside goals to the Coyotes. This a uh, pretty forgettable one for the Preds. Although they did play well in this game, the Coyotes beat them down in the party barn down there, which Barry Trotz came home and said on our air on Monday, that's a tough place to go and play. It's tough to get up for an NHL game in a little building like that. Yeah, and I've heard. And you look at the success that Arizona has had in their barn this season. So I'm not totally surprised that the Preds dropped that game, especially when you kind of look at the standings and where Arizona is sitting right now. Like, that was a that was a hard-fought game, but... 
I was more surprised than for the boys to come home and drop the game to Florida. You knew that was going to be a tight challenge. Before that game, Andrew Brunette said that he thinks that this is one of the deepest teams in the league. They have elite skating. He talked about their speed. He said that they're the real deal. And the Preds held them to a tight battle. That 4-1 to loss doesn't really show uh, the score doesn't really show the outcome of that game, Max, when you think about it being 1-1 late into the game. But uh, that was a tough one for the boys. Yeah, two empty netters took it from 2-1 to 4-1. Preds lost to the Panthers on home ice on inaugural team night on Monday. And Bruno would know what those dudes are good at. He was their interim head coach two years ago, an assistant coach prior to that, as they were ascending with this current group. And it showed they averaged the most shots per game in the NHL, Preds were outshot 22 to 4 in the first 24 minutes of this game. Thankfully got out of that stretch scoreless somehow and only gave up the first goal against because of a terrible penalty call against Yakov Trenin for quote unquote tripping Brandon Montour who uh slipped on a banana peel out there I guess. I don't know. That was a tough night for Yakov Trenin. Yeah. There was a few times that he uh, got to the penalty box Three minors for the Yak in that game, only one of which was really deserved, I thought. And after that board, which was the one I thought was a correct penalty call, a fight with Jonah Gadjevich, who we saw last get beaten up by Mark Borowiecki in Europe as a member of the Sharks a year and a half ago. And now this year, he gets some swings in on Yakov Trenin with his jersey over his head. Preds answered that quick power play goal by the Panthers on their undeserved power play. Less than a minute later, another goal for Jeremy Lozon, who just keeps him coming with his career-high fifth off a face-off win by Colton Sissons through a ton of traffic. Pretty wrister by Lozon that Anthony Stolarz stabbed at but couldn't stop. So the boys dropped that game. It was also the uh, Florida Dads trip. So they kind of had a lot going against them. But, Max, you tweeted that Jay Moore and the inaugural team guys were having a little fun because the dads were sitting right next to them in the suites. This seemed like a uh, war of words going on between the <laughs> Team One Preds and the Florida Panthers dads. Most famously, Keith Kachuk, Big Walt Kachuk, father of Matthew Kachuk, who all of them knew, of course, from playing against him. They were, uh, he was the peacemaker, I think, as there was some smack talk going on, which is uh, shocking to the hockey world that Big Walt Kachuk is the peacemaker. But Jay said they were having a lot of fun up there. He was going back and forth between the suite and the broadcast booth all game. He also said that he played prep school hockey with Panthers defenseman Josh Mahura's dad in Manitoba. Wow. So pretty cool. Yeah. So connections all over the place. You know, these guys all know each other. But uh, I, I think the Panthers' dads had more numbers because there were 13 Preds players back, but four of them were in working capacities. So, so uh, there were definitely more than nine Panthers' dads there. So uh, we'll see if we can get any inside footage of <laughs> what went down in the suite. But sounds like everybody had a great time on both sides. I just loved so much, like, the photos that were coming out, like young Barry Trotz, you know, like young <laughs> Sebastian Bortolo, like these photos coming around. And we did an interview and I I had, I think, Jeff Nelson in, and somebody tweeted. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is a blast from the past. This is my childhood in these interviews you guys are putting on the air. Pretty awesome. And the first 10,000 fans received a recreation of the inaugural team's picture on the Grand Ole Opry stage. And Jay, as promised on the podcast last week, was able to bring a copy of the original picture out of storage at the Chateau Moore. And I brought it into the Preds locker room for the current Preds to take a look at after morning skate. And they were really overjoyed to see young Andrew Brunette and young Sebastian Bordalo, who's now an assistant coach for the team, up there on the Opry stage in the spring of 1999. And the inaugural Preds were, in, were overjoyed to see it, too. Some of them hadn't seen it in years. Do we have an update on whether Coach Brunette will be wearing a cowboy hat on the bench this year? That's something we talked about last week on the podcast. After taking that photo at the Opry, have you done any investigative reporting, Max? Where do we stand? So I went and asked Michael McCarron, who was the mic'd up player in the segment we talked about last week, asking Bruno, how many games do we have to win before the All-Star break? for you to dress as the man in black on the bench. And like we said, Bruno seemed all about it. 
<laughs> and I went and asked Michael McCarron about it when I showed him the original team picture. And he said, why are you asking me? And I said, aren't you the one who made the bet with him? And he goes, oh, I don't remember. So that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. But we're going to have to go straight to Bruno because, like we said, I think he's looking for any excuse to do it. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Well, last night, uh, the boys took on the Minnesota Wild, and it was country night in Minnesota. Did you notice that? I was getting a kick out of the music that you could hear playing in the background of the broadcast team. I mean, when I heard Achy Breaky Heart blasting <laughs> through uh, the, my Preds app, I was like, holy cow, that seems like a really fun night out in Minnesota. Uh, a good night for the boys to come home with two points. Yeah, I think my favorite was they played I Like It, I Love It after Michael McCarron's fight against Jake Middleton. <laughs> they played our goal song after a fight on the road, which... I, th- this seems to happen many places the Preds go, like, oh, let's do country night when we're playing the Predators. And uh, some places the media meal is barbecue or an attempt at hot chicken or whatever it is. It's like, well, we're the ones who get to experience this everywhere. Does it get old? But it is kind of funny. So, yes, they they got a lot of country in. But Minnesota is pretty country, so they're they're not faking it up there. Some of them. They're not faking it. And it was a good night for the Brainerd, Minnesota native, Cole Smith, who just signed his two-year contract with the Preds. And uh, I think his family was in the stands. So good night for Cole Smith to be back on home ice and helping the guys uh, pull out this win. Cole Smith has had four straight one-year contracts since becoming a pro. He signed one last February for this season, got it done in advance, This year, he gets the next two years done in advance here in January at a million dollars for each of the next two years. He was on basically league minimum around 800,000 this season. He will get a million a year for each of the next two years, choosing the stability of continuing to play somewhere he loves rather than going into unrestricted free agency. And I'm with you, Kara. His family, his sister, and his dad were in the front row behind the goal. You get a raise. Your family's going to sit in the front row. Can't hide money. I saw that, and I was wondering. I'm like, I wonder if they knew somebody, or he was like, you know what? I got a little bit of a pay raise. We're going all in tonight. (laughs) It's so awesome that that was the first game, too, after the contract was announced. Where he lives is about two and a half hours north of the Twin Cities, so he's not a true Twin Cities guy like Tommy Novak and Ryan McDonough and so many other NHLers are. But he had his moments there. He returned a kickoff for a touchdown in the high school football playoffs at the Metrodome, the Minnesota Vikings old house, and he skated in Mighty Mites at the Wild Arena when the Frozen Four was in Mini. So he's been everywhere in Minneapolis. I don't know if he's dunked at the Timberwolves Arena or hit a home run at the Twins ballpark, but he's got at least two of them covered. Well, you know, his story is pretty incredible, and and William Mace touched on it a bit last night, but how he could have excelled in football, too, and that he used to travel around and play football, and then his dad and him would get in the car, get on the road, and go play a hockey tournament, and they were driving all across the state trying to figure out what he was going to do, and then he decided, okay, it's going to be hockey. Yeah, great reporting by Alex Doherty of Penalty Box Radio and an article about that last month after we talked about a little bit on Smashville Live prior to that. He He's he's similar to many of our athletes here in Tennessee. He's a multi-sport athlete who was a star in a couple of different sports, overlooked in terms of playing at the next level, and now he's a pro athlete who just signed his first multi-year deal at age 28 in his second full NHL season. So Smith got in a fight after getting the contract. Michael McCarron got in a fight as well. Those fights came in the less than a minute apart in the final six minutes of the second period. Preds went into the third down one nothing. Kara, then came out with three straight huge goals. Alex Carrier let one rip, high blocker to tie at 1-1 early in the third. Then 35 seconds later, Roman Yossi a point shot, Philip Forsberg a pretty tip in to put the Preds ahead for good. And then Roman Yossi scored what ended up being the game winner a little less than 10 minutes later. Shot from the right point that was hitting some bodies in front, went off of Brock Faber's sweater, and in the net. Preds go up 3-1 and win 3-2 against the Wild on Thursday night. That was a big two points, and now they have a big test ahead, Max. I mean, now they're on the road, on a flight to Canada. 
They take on the Oilers. They take on the Senators. But, I mean, Edmonton has been on a hot one, right? But you would say that they're on a heater right now. Uh, they're on the third longest heater in NHL history. <laughs> 15 straight wins for Big Oil right now. And if they win two more, they will tie the longest winning streak in NHL history, which they're not going to do because we're going to beat them. But the saddest part of it all, if they do somehow overcome the odds we're pitting against them to beat the Preds on Saturday afternoon, and this game will have happened after many of you listen to the podcast already, but if they beat the Preds, they're going to have to wait 10 days, one win away from the record because of their bye week and the All-Star break. So uh, Preds are going to have to kill the suspense for everybody with the bad scheduling. It does seem kind of like a crazy schedule to go to Minnesota, to go to Edmonton, and then fly all the way back across to go play Ottawa. Yeah, uh, it's awful. It's north, west, and east. It's uh, not exactly a straight line drive for this road trip, but Preds are 1-0 on it so far. Saturday afternoon at 3, they will take on the Oilers, and then Monday night at 6, Predators will be in Canada to take on the Ottawa Senators and finish up the three-game road trip. We'll talk more about inaugural team night here from David Legwand and many of the inaugural Preds coming up next here on the Predators official podcast. She's Kara Hammer from Preds TV. I'm Max Hers from Preds Radio. This is the POP. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast here on 102.5 and 106.3 The Game. My name is Max from Preds Radio. She's Kara from Preds TV. We're ready to go as the inaugural Preds were back in October 1998 against the Florida Panthers on opening night that year. Panthers in the building on Monday for their reunion and inaugural team night in Smashville, which was a whole lot of fun. We'll start off hearing from... The biggest name of the 11 inaugural Preds who were here, but he only played in one game that season. David Legwand was drafted before that season, but returned to junior, ended up making his NHL debut in the final game of that NHL season on April 17th of 1999. Here's David Legwand on the POP. David, thank you so much for doing this. No problem. You're a unique member of the inaugural Preds. You were, of course, drafted before that season, but played in the last game of the season, your NHL debut. What does it mean for this group to be back and you to be a part of it? Uh, it's fun. Obviously, seeing a lot of old faces and, and, and being around the guys is always fun. And, uh, you know, 25 years is a long time, but um, it's been 25 good years for the franchise, obviously, ups and downs and, and all those types of things. So it, it's been fun for the whole group. April 17th, 1999, you made your NHL debut in the final game of that season after a great OHL year. What sticks with you most from that debut day? Um, a lot. I mean, obviously, it was pretty hectic getting in town and, and doing all those types of things and, and playing in a, in a National Hockey League game for your first time is exciting and obviously lots of emotions and, and those types of things. So uh, we played New Jersey. We lost the game, but it was it was fun. They obviously, they had a hell of a hockey team then, too. Um, so it, it was a good day. How many days before that was your last game in Plymouth? I don't even remember. I know we kind of just finished playing, and then uh, it was on a flight and here to play. What stands out to you the most, I guess, memory-wise of your first season here in Nashville? Uh, just this the camaraderie, the guys. It was a young team. It was, you know, Barry's first couple of years in the league, and, and you know, everyone's figuring everything out, and, and uh, they created a foundation and a culture, and, and uh, that stuck with this franchise forever, I think, and that's one of the main building blocks of the Nashville Predators way and, and what David and Barry and, and, and the whole group created. You had a 16-season career here. You left with nearly every offensive record in franchise history. Now we've seen guys kind of start to break some of those records. What has that been like for you to, to watch the team grow and see some of these younger guys step up? Oh, it's it's good. I mean, obviously they were there for a reason, and, and there's going to be more people that, that surpass them and those types of things, and that's good. Obviously, uh, Roman's been here a long time and, and is a great hockey player, and, and Philly Forsberg is a great hockey player, and... and uh, 
you know they got they got a good good group of young kids and, and a good group of kids coming up. So um, it's always fun to see them play and, and, and work and, and come together. Longtime Pred David Legwand is our guest here on the Predators official podcast. 2004 first playoff series, 2011 first playoff series win. You were a part of those two big milestones. What stood out to you the most about the way the city embraced those two springs? Well, the first one was wild. Obviously, you know the Red Wings back then were were the the, the gold standard of the hockey of hockey, and uh, you know to have a chance to play them, being from there, and, and those types of things was exciting. Um, and then 2011, obviously beating um, Anaheim in the first round was was a huge accomplishment for the franchise to get over that little that little hurdle. Um, you know, those are those are teams that were good and, and obviously always want to go further and no one's ever satisfied until you win the last game of the season and, and uh, unfortunately that didn't get to happen here when I was here. So um, we're hoping it happens in the future. Let's give a, like a, a background of where we are right now. We're standing in the new alumni wall in Bridgestone Arena on the third level. Uh, a lot of former guys are here. How many of these players do you keep up with? Uh, a bit, obviously, through hockey and through through um, being around the guys, and obviously communicating is easier nowadays with text messaging and those types of things. So um, it's been easier. It's it's good to see old faces though and come back and, and and share some stories of what they're doing now. We had some fan questions for you, if we may. First up, Rob. He speaks on behalf of many. He wants to know how it feels to be. His first favorite player following the NHL and the player to get him interested in hockey, and you were that for so many people here. Um, it's exciting. Obviously, it's, it was a new sport down here the first couple of years, and, and uh, to see the game grow and, and the new arenas go up and, and, and the, the Preds carry such a, a big weight on all that. Obviously, if they weren't here, I don't know if hockey would be as big. It's, it's, it's grown. It's, it's become something. It's you know now now kids coming up have have heroes that are hockey players and those types of things. So it's, it's, it's been a, quite a ride for the city, the team, and uh, all the fans. Barry wants to know if you felt, first off, pressure being a high draft pick, but also additional pressure being the first pick of a new team and being able to do all the things you did through that. Yeah, there's a pressure, but obviously being in a, a non-traditional hockey market, I think made it a little easier. Um, you know, it wasn't the spotlight sport here obviously that back in the first couple of years the titans had super bowl contending teams and, and that was the the what was kind of known in the city and we kind of just went about our business and and, uh, and and did our thing so um the pressure didn't really get to me really it wasn't uh, wasn't too bad taylor wants to know your tips for the current younger players on the preds who hope to lead the team to the stanley cup uh, put your head down and, and work and, and, and listen. I think uh, you know you, get, you got a great mentor in, in, in Barry with the with doing the GMing and, and Andrew Burnett coaching and, and Derek McKenzie and these types of guys are guys that they can learn from. They got experience. They're 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 hockey people and uh, you know put your nose down and, and do the work. And if you don't do the work, you're not going to get rewarded. Michael wants to know your thoughts on young coach Barry Trotz. Oh, he's good. Obviously, it's a long time ago, but and, and it's crazy. I only had one coach here, and uh, obviously, he had he had uh, a phenomenal person, phenomenal human being, um, great coach. Uh, would strive to get you better every day, and and better on the ice, off the ice, being a human being, and those types of things. And uh, you know, he had Brent Peterson here for a long time with him too, and, and those types of people that that he surrounded himself with was was nothing but the best. Nick wants to know what moment are you most proud of that grew hockey in Nashville? I think that first playoff series with with the Red Wings and when we, you know, we won game three and four at home and and I think that was kind of like, whoa, here's, there's something new in town. It's it's exciting. And then, uh, you know, all those playoff series, the the teams that were on the cusp of presidents, trophies in the the long haul. And then obviously not, even I wasn't here, but everyone roots and, you know, the Stanley Cup finals in 2016 is is something that the city kind of, embraced and grew around and, and you know hold holding NHL drafts here and those types of things is always exciting too and our last question probably most important B wants to know your thoughts on the Lions right now they're doing it's not the same old Lions I guess <laughs> and, um, I mean I was probably one of those people that laughed at Dan Campbell and um, it's the same thing as, as David Poyle and Barry Trotz so they put Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell in situations and and they're football people and they're 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 guys that you know you want to play for and you can see that with the lions is is they got guys that 
coaching that the guys want to play for, the guys want to be a part of it, and, and those types of things. Good stuff. Thank you for doing this, David. Thank you. That's Preds legend David Legwand with us earlier this week on inaugural team night. Great to see him, Kara, talk to him about his records getting broken, which is just such a funny thing to even bring up. But he's had some great players pass him, so no shame in that. And just awesome that he was there because, like we asked him about, he only played in the literal last game of that inaugural season. Yet here he was on inaugural team night. I, you look at the inaugural players and kind of like we talked about previously, but some of these guys, you know, they weren't on the team all season. You look at Jay Moore and he played his last game. Was it the game right before Chris Mason came up? And I think they had Chris Mason on the roster the entire season. He only played three games that first season, making the trip back and forth uh, between the minor leagues and then coming back up into the pros. It's cool that some of these guys have also still stayed in contact with each other. Yeah, it's awesome. And the guys who were here, in addition to those we've already mentioned, Chris Mason from Preds TV, Jay Moore from Preds Radio, Andrew Brunette, the head coach of the team, Sebastian Bordalo, the skills coach on the Predators assistant coaching staff, then joined by J.J. Daniel, Jeff Nelson, Dan Kesmer, Denny Lambert, Blair Achnam, Mark Mowers, Cliff Ronning, Rob Valasevic, and David Legwand. We were able to see all those guys sign the alumni wall and talk with a ton of them for a feature that aired earlier this week on Predators Radio about Team One. Starting with our man Jay Moore on last week's podcast, comparing the inaugural team's Grand Ole Opry picture with the current Preds recreation that was given away on Monday night. His hat fits a lot better than Bruno's hat did on the stage. I'm looking at both the posters right now side by side and... uh that was a real fun night, though, uh, to be at the Opry. And, uh, you know, we just – year one was – it was so new, and we we had such amazing support from the country music industry. Um, a lot of our fans were season ticket holders. You know, I remember Barbara Mandrell, and, and uh, she was very involved, and, and Tim McGraw and, and Vince Gill, and anything that you needed – um, they were on board to, to help out, and uh, that, that made that first season very special. Moore, an original member of the Predators, says country music was a big part of why those original Preds got so close. Uh, one that stands out in my mind off the ice, it was our, our year-end team party, our get-together that we had. Um, it was held at uh, Tom and Kerry Fitzgerald, uh, Fitzy was our captain that season, and uh, our, our year-end get-together before everybody, you know, departed and went their own ways was um, we had probably five or six country music singers who were, who came and showed up, and by the end of the night we were sitting around a bonfire, and they all had their guitars out playing. And uh, it was it was a fantastic night. Uh, Barbara Mandrell was there. There were some singers uh, or songwriters rather uh, that had just wrote uh, some big hits for Garth Brooks, some number one hits. Brian Kennedy had just done some big hits for Garth. Um, Dina Carter sat around, sung "Strawberry Wine," and. Uh, that's what that's what brought everybody together. I, I, I mentioned earlier about how involved the country music folk were in our season, but they all came together at at the end and uh, thanked thanked the team for having uh, you know such great memories. The first game was one of a kind, October tenth, nineteen ninety eight. Former winger Denny Lambert tells us about that first night. Well, it was. Unbelievable because the first thing is I was never drafted into the NHL, so me getting drafted by Nashville was such an honor because it was the first time ever being drafted. And then to come in here and play in the, this arena in front of these fans that really didn't know a lot about hockey, but they just cheered for everything. And it was loud, so it was an awesome time. We really enjoyed it, and my full year was awesome here. Original Preds defenseman J.J. Daniel on game number one. I think for us on the ice, it was just another game. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of excitement built around the city. Uh, with a new team coming to town, but I I think where you could feel it the most is in the stands. I think the fans were excited to to see their new team on the ice. 
and um, obviously that there's some growing pains when you're, you're an expansion team and but no we had a team under Barry Trust that competed every night that worked hard and uh, never gave up so but the, the, I think the biggest excitement uh, for us no was just uh, business as usual we played our game were prepared but in the, you could see that uh, there was a lot of excitement in the, in the stands. Cliff Rodding would lead those Predators in points in their inaugural season, but he was not a member of the team in the beginning. He was traded from the Phoenix Coyotes in early November and remembers the first thing he noticed about the home crowd in Smashville. Well, year one, it just I'll never forget uh, my first game. Everyone had headphones on, and I'm asking... Uh, a couple of players, why do all the fans have headphones on? They were trying to explain what icing was. And and uh, I remember, I guess the best experience was I skated up to center ice and took a slap shot to dump it in on the goalie. And, and everyone stood up thinking that it might go in. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a fun place to play. So uh, from then on, it was just uh, the fans are spectacular here. And I think all the players... Uh, realized that early on that uh, the fans were the best part of the whole thing. Two current members of the Predators coaching staff were members of that original team, skills coach Sebastian Bordalo and head coach Andrew Brunette. That's pretty awesome. Uh, that was a real fun year um, to play here that op- that first year. Um, the electricity in the whole city, uh, you felt you're, you're a part of something um, bigger than hockey, you know, for, for the most part. So to see those guys would be a lot of fun. I, you know, you see them. I've been fortunate enough to, to be in the game, and, and a lot of them still are in the game, so I see them over the courses of different hockey seasons. But um, to see them honored is, is pretty cool. Denny Lambert was Brunette's roommate on the road in that inaugural season. Our first year, we were on the road. Well, our roommate's on the road. So, so it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I played with him in Atlanta, obviously, so I knew him better too. So, yeah, so just uh, even Barry, I talked to Barry once well, David Poyle, I call him. So we keep in touch, and that's what I mean about the culture that they built here from day one is, you know, it's a lot of talking about family and caring about each other and uh, always uh, keep it up, and that's what we did, and that's what, that's what I feel the, the best about this organization. Would you believe that Bruno would become an NHL head coach if I told you in 1999? You know what? He, he loves the game. So I, if you would have told me that, I would have said he's got a good chance because he is a student of the game. He loves sports. He loves uh, football, baseball. Uh, he studies, like, everything, and he loves it, and uh just talking hockey with him last night, there's no question that he's a he's a head coach, uh, and he deserves to be here. Brunette spent time with his Preds teammates last night and told us how he expects them to welcome him back to Smashville now as the head coach. Well, probably making fun of me, <laughs> I hope. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's fun to see them. I, every time, you know, uh, I've been so fortunate in, in my hockey career to be around great people, and uh, they're as good as it gets, and we had a lot of fun together, and um, to see them is always awesome. All joking aside, it is special that these guys are back, many of whom, like Brunette, played just one season for the team, but they're part of something big here. Well, I think that speaks great organizations do. They make you, if you wear their jersey, you always feel you're part of them. And, and I think the, the Predators do as good as anybody. And, you know, I'm honored to put a jersey on, even if it was just for a first year. And they've always made you, right from Mr. Poy all the way down, made you feel you're part of it. Um, as, as quick as you were, as, if it was a year, if it was five years, you always felt that you had an imprint on, on his organization. And as a player, you know, I think that's, that's a little bit why we play, too. Original Preds defenseman Dan Kesmer tells us about how the Predator way was instilled from day one and what that meant to the players. A lot of the things that I didn't experience with other organizations because they were already well-established, integrity, moral-based, family-based, work ethic. Uh, The first two years that I can can, uh, comment on, my experience was you didn't have a real good forward group of talented players so much because you're everybody's leftovers. But Trotsy really established, uh, you know, those tangibles of, you know, humanistic sides of the game. And then said, look, if we're going to win games, we got to outwork the opposition. Because we don't necessarily have what everybody calls is the, the talent. And I remember, you know, even in practices, I came here from Dallas. And Dallas's practices were uniquely different because you only had to do a run-through to warm up. Practices here were very vigorous because you had to establish that work ethic and conditioning were you had so much talent in Dallas that you didn't you didn't need that. So to equal the the talent levels, you had to outwork the opponent. 
So that's what I remember, you know, my first experience because I was used to, you know, 20, 25 minute easy walk through practices. I got here and it felt like I was in a freaking, uh, you know, Soviet Red Army. <laughs> so, which was good. Yeah, I needed that because I wasn't talented. And, uh, you know, the only way I established one game in the NHL is to try and outwork my, you know, competition. So it was a good fit. David Legwand is in the building amongst the original Preds today, though he played just one game that first season. He made his NHL debut in April of 1999 in the season finale after playing a lengthy junior season after the Preds took him second overall in the summer before their debut season. Uh, just this the camaraderie with the guys. It was a young team. It was, you know, Barry's first couple of years in the league and, and, you know, everyone's figuring everything out and, and uh, they created a foundation and a culture and, and uh, that stuck with this franchise forever, I think. And that's one of the main building blocks of the Nashville Predators way and, and what David and Barry and, and, and the whole group created. Cliff Ronning joined the team a month into that inaugural season but became a leader on a team that he was very impressed with their tight-knit nature. When I played here, my role is really to, I was one of the older players and uh, more established, I guess, after playing in 94 with the the Canucks um, in the finals. So I think my role is really to try to bring players along and, and obviously being a smaller player, if they saw a smaller player going in the corners and working hard and trying to bring the work ethic up and I think that's something that was my role and uh, I was very fortunate we had great teammates uh, you know of all the teams I played on this is one place that my family always talks about how much they loved uh, not not only the fans but the players uh, were very close and uh, Captain Fitzgerald uh, really kept everyone uh, close and he was a very good leader for us and it was a lot of fun. One important member of the inaugural Predators is no longer with us, and Rodding wanted to make sure we knew how special the late Greg Johnson, who passed away in 2019, was. Yeah, I mean, Greg Johnson, uh, you know, had one of the best games I've ever seen any player play against Detroit that night on that stormy uh, winter night, and it's always sad when you see someone uh, pass away that you played with, and Especially him, he was uh, a very quiet, uh, all about the team, team first guy, and uh, that was a sad day for all of us uh, when we found out. The late Greg Johnson will be honored next month on Captain's Night at Bridgestone Arena, and we hope that his widow and other members of his family are able to join us to honor the late Greg Johnson, who passed in 2019 and was a key member and captain of those early Preds. Defenseman J.J. Danio tells us what the move to Smashville meant to his family in the inaugural season. For me, I was moving here with my wife and two young daughters. Uh, and well, we established ourselves in uh, Franklin. And uh, it was just the, uh, the people were just kind. Uh, people around us and in the community, people were very, uh, very kind. So it was easy for us to, to make the move and, uh, and implement ourselves in a nice neighborhood. And, and then... Go, go to work every day and, and meet us also your new, new, your new teammates. Some of those year one Preds never left. Of course, our man Jay Moore is on radio with us every night at home. Defenseman Dan Kesmer fell in love with Nashville and made it a part of the rest of his life. The reason I, I stuck around here is because I was completely off base in my perception of what this place was to begin with. And I remember that all started you know, when they announced that the Predators were getting an expansion team in Nashville. And to a guy throughout the NHL, I think everybody thought it was a huge mistake. Because growing up, nobody ever played hockey in Nashville. You always, in, If you're American, you go to Chicago, Boston, Detroit, uh, New York. And if you're Canadian, you hit all the hotbed cities there. So nobody had ever played hockey as a kid here in Nashville. So I thought it was a bunch of hillbillies. And that it was going to be kind of a short-lived experience until I got here. And once I understood the dynamics of the place that I was living, it was a place that, you know, there's a reason why I'm here 25 years later. Uh, in the movies, you see, you know, when people from out of town move into a neighborhood in the south, you get a knock on the door and people bring you brownies and cookies and cakes. And your initial impression is like, okay, what do you want? It's, it's real. It's genuine because people are nice. So with all those things put together, when I retired, I had the option to go back to Michigan or stay here and, there was no way I was going to leave here because it was such a great place. So the inaugural Preds are in the building. 
One of them, Andrew Burnett, is the bench boss and the original broadcaster of the Preds, the voice of the Preds, Pete Weber. Asked Bruno this morning, are any of these guys going to suit up? Now, you have some of your original Predators teammates here in town now. Are you going to draft any of them for the game? <laughs> uh, never know. I'll let you know after the first, Pete. <laughs> Kara, I want to say thank you so much to all those guys who talked to us for interviews throughout inaugural team day. So cool to hear all of their stories. And uh, no, Andrew Burnett did not end up having to call any of them up to the active roster and suit up on Monday. <laughs> Thankfully, I think probably for everyone's sake on that one, as fun as it could well, have been. Well, I asked David Leguan uh, in game, we, you know, what are your thoughts on this game? And he was like, it's so fast. He's like, this is a fast paced hockey game. And it was kind of like a running joke the whole night about how some of the guys weren't great skaters. I mean, they were chirping that Bruno wasn't a great skater himself. But the speed of the game is so quick now compared to when these guys started. It'd be interesting to see how the inaugural team would hold up against the pre this Preds team. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. And we had some fun moments throughout the day. One of my favorites was at the alumni wall puck signing in the morning on the Gary Force Acura level on level three of Bridgestone Arena. We want you guys all to go see those new alumni pucks as we get more signatures up there beginning this week. JJ Daniel, uh, Jay Moore's old D partner from year one, was getting ready to sign his autograph, but he'd signed so many autographs since then. He put his name down and he turned back to the team and he said, what was my number that year? I need to make sure I put the right jersey number on my autograph. And after some <laughs> deliberation, he was able to correctly identify number 36. But uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was a really fun moment for team one to put their heads together and remember. And we learned from Chris Mason about uh, Rob Valsevic. Hopefully I said it right, because May said <laughs> that during his first season, none of the broadcasters around the league would pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, and uh, we asked Rob about it, too. He was very funny about it. After the first hat trick in team history, they had pronounced his name three different ways, announcing each of the three goals. But cool that Rob had his family there as well. He was able to bring his family for part of inaugural team night. Want to say thank you to everyone who sent in questions that we included in that interview for David Legwand. Our autograph winners have been contacted and claimed. Want to also thank Jim, who tweeted in from Lyles, Tennessee, in scenic Hickman County. A tweet that you loved, Kara. No specific question. Only thank them all for being the foundation of this wonderful organization and the basis of an enduring love for the sport my son and I both treasure because they're our Nashville Predators. That, that one warmed my heart, Max. I love that one. A well-deserved win for Jim from Lyles, writing in how much he loved the day one Preds. That was a fun day with those guys, and we will have another similar night looking back on Preds history coming up just four games from now on Tuesday, February 13th against the New Jersey Devils. It is captain's night where all the captains in Preds history, all six of them, will be invited to join the team. It's that night because original Preds captain Tom Fitzgerald is the New Jersey Devils GM. We'll be playing them on Tuesday, February 13th, hoping to have near-perfect attendance, it sounds like, including hopefully the family of the late Greg Johnson as well, who we talked about with Cliff Ronning, member of that inaugural team who we lost in 2019. So hoping that his widow or other members of his family will be able to join us. They have been invited by the Predators. So looking forward to that, a special continuation of honoring our alumni in unique ways here in year 25 of the Preds. She's Kara Hammer from Preds TV. I'm Max Hers from Preds Radio. Plenty more coming up at the arena as well, including HBCU night as we honor black history at Bridgestone Arena on Wednesday. We'll tell you about all the fun stuff going on there and plenty more coming up around the Preds as well here on the Predators official podcast. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast here on 1025 and 1063 The Game. Little Joe Budden for you out of the Preds warm up mix this year. Good stuff there. Been meaning to get this song in all season, and here it is. Max Herz and Kara Hammer with you here on the POP. 
Got a lot of exciting stuff coming up on the last night of January and then throughout the month of February at Bridgestone Arena. The All-Star break is coming up just three games down the road from now. Predators have one more home game before then on Wednesday night, January 31st. That is this coming Wednesday as you listen to the podcast. First of all, please note that that game is at 6.30. It is an early start because it is nationally televised on TNT. We will have our friends Kenny Albert, Eddie Olchek, and Brian Boucher, and the great director John Tackett, formerly of Preds TV, in the building for NHL on TNT Wednesday night. Predators and Kings at 6.30 on Wednesday, and the Preds will continue our year-round celebration of Hockey is for Everyone with HBCU Night and our celebration of Black History Month. College nights continue with Nashville's four HBCUs being honored, TSU, Fisk, Meharry Medical College, and American Baptist will be celebrated on HBCU night. Go to NashvillePredators.com slash theme nights and NashvillePredators.com slash college nights to sign up for the special ticket package that gets you your co-branded Preds gear with one of those four HBCUs. And for the second year in a row, we will have some band involvement on Black History Night. Last year, it was the TSU Aristocrat of Bands performing on the plaza. This year, three Metro Nashville high school bands will be with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Maplewood High School, Whites Creek High School, and Stratford will be joining us before the game for the pregame battle of the bands on the plaza. As we did last year, also special Black History Month Preds logo. This year designed by TSU professor Kalina Sales, along with Preds graphic designer Tayshawn Hassel. Unfortunately, because of ridiculous NHL rules, the Preds cannot wear them for pregame warmups, but they'll be worn on the way to the arena and auctioned off after the game. And the first 5,000 fans will receive a lanyard with the Predators' Black History Month logo as well. So looking forward to HBCU night on January 31st to get Black History Month started a night early in Smashville. Also coming up, some more college nights for you in February. Go to NashvillePredators.com slash college night if you hear your school and want to get the special ticket package, which is the only way to get the Preds hat in your school's color with Preds in script across the front and your school's logo on the side of the baseball cap. Really cool one-of-a-kind item. As we mentioned, Wednesday, January 31st against the Kings, the four Nashville HBCUs, TSU, Fisk, Meharry, and American Baptist. Then in the first game after the All-Star break on Saturday night, February 10th against the Coyotes, one of our many rivalry nights. We're pitting the rivals against each other for college nights this year. Ole Miss and Mississippi State together as one on Saturday, February 10th. Uh, Make sure your school is the one that sells the most ticket packages for that rivalry. It will come in handy, I promise. And we'll do that again on Tuesday, February 27th against the Senators. Battle of the Boulevard, Belmont, and Lipscomb on rivalry night. Let's see who can sell the most co-branded hats between the Bruins and the Bison, or as they say, the Bisons with an S. And Thursday, February 29th, Leap Day against the Wild and Western Kentucky, Big Red. Everyone's favorite amorphous blob will be in the building. Thursday, February 29th against the Wild. Then in March and April, still to come down the road, Vandy, Austin P, MTSU, Kentucky. And then one more rivalry night, Bama and Auburn. Those are later in the season. The ones we read for you are coming up in February. If you just heard your school and want to get the ticket package with the special Preds and University hat, NashvillePredators.com slash college night is the way to do that. One more thing we want to shout out. The Little Preds Learn to Play program is getting started in February. If your kid is between the ages of four and nine, interested in hockey but has never played before, the Little Preds Learn to Play program is for you. The one thing we want to give along this, though, it is encouraged for children who have already learned how to skate or completed a learn to skate program. If your child can skate the full width of the rink on their own but has not tried hockey before, then the Little Preds Learn to Play program is for you. It is not just in Nashville, but also in Louisville, Evansville, Huntsville, and Atlanta and Marietta, Georgia this time around. Programs begin as soon as mid-February, start at under $300. This is a really affordable way to get your kids on the hockey rink for the first time. It includes lessons and also an equipment kit that has a little Preds jersey, shoulder pads, hockey gloves, elbow pads, a helmet and helmet stickers, shin guards, ice skates, hockey socks, a stick, and an equipment bag. 
all for under $300. Again, in Nashville, Louisville, Evansville, Huntsville, and Atlanta and Marietta, Georgia, the Little Preds Learn to Play program encouraged for kids who know how to skate but have never tried hockey before between the ages of four and nine. If you are interested, go to NashvillePredators.com slash Little Preds. NashvillePredators.com slash Little Preds. Speaking of Preds players learning to play, he knew how to skate already, and he was not between the ages of four and nine. But Kara, Philip Forsberg had some special guests at practice this week all the way from Sweden. Forsberg had posted on Instagram that a couple of his mentors were in town. I got to briefly meet them on Wednesday. His teenage hockey coach, Tommy Fredrickson, has taught Phil everything he knows, we'll say, although both of them were very humble about it. But, like, imagine being Philip Forsberg's coach, like, the guy who does millions of things you can't teach. Like, imagine watching him develop those things as a teenager. I think that's really neat, Max. I I feel like a lot of these guys that turn pro always talk about some of their coaches when they were younger and standouts. But you think about Phil being a teenager. At this point, he was probably already getting scouted after we've talked to some of the Pred Scouts who say they're looking at these guys (laughs) in their early teenage years. So maybe he knew he had this talent already watching a young Philip Forsberg. Yeah, and it was great to meet Tommy. He did not speak a ton of English, but he was joined by Thomas Johnson, who is a two-time Stanley Cup champion, Swedish national, won the Cup with the Islanders in 1982 and 1983, the last two of the Islanders' four straight Stanley Cups. Ended up going back to Sweden after eight strong NHL seasons, mostly with the Islanders in the 80s. He played in the Cup clincher in 1983. Islanders finished off their sweep of the Oilers. Also played in the Cup final the next year when they lost to Gretzky and the Oilers. The man played in 11 Stanley Cup final games. And now, almost 40 years later, or I, I guess 40 full years later, it's 2024 now. 40 years later, he's rolling with Philip Forsberg. Not a bad guy to be rolling with. Or yeah. maybe scooting, you know? Phil's all about a scooter. <laughs> I would love to see Phil with Tommy Fredrickson and Thomas Johnson scooting around Nashville, the trio of high hockey level Swedes getting around. But it was so cool to meet those guys, and you never know who you're going to see in Smashville. Lots of cool folks popping in here from around the hockey world. We will come back and give you two fun interviews of the week to finish up the show coming up next. She's Kara Hammer from Preds TV. I'm Max Hers from Preds Radio. This is the Predators official podcast. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast here on 102.5 and 106.3 The Game. Your radio home for Preds hockey. Little Backstreet Boys for you as we welcome back the inaugural Preds this week. It's uh, era appropriate. Max Hers from Preds Radio with Kara Hammer from Preds TV. Are you, are you Backstreet Boys or Sync, Kara? Do you have a preference? I, I was an Syncer, but I'm wondering, like, do you think the guys had Backstreet Boys played in the locker room? Like, was this part of the pregame music? <laughs> I really hope so. And I, I was actually more in sync as well, but I appreciate the Backstreet Boys and their great hits. Yeah, well, we missed our chance to ask this week, but we did get some other great interview topics, as you heard earlier with the inaugural Preds. And maybe my favorite thing that happened all day was on Preds TV, original Pred Denny Lambert, who was Andrew Brunette's roommate on the road as a member of the inaugural Preds and is now a member of the police at the Batchawana First Nation Reservation in Ontario. He is Batchawana, a member of their community, and now a police officer in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and First Nations land. That is a tough, tough job, and he is built for it. And for further evidence of that, we can tell you that back in 2000, when Lambert was on the Thrashers, and a young, tall, Bostonian by the name of Hal Gill was still trying to grow into his body as a member of the Bruins. The two of them fought, and they reunited on the Bally Sports Intermission Desk for our interview of the week. Well, Denny, it's interesting. When when we invited you up on stage, you said the last time you saw Hal, you were looking up at him. You two fought. Who 
Who, we, who won? We, I think it was a tie. Oh, I, okay. I still look up to him right now, so I'm like, yeah, we definitely tied. Uh, I'll, I'll take know, that. He was to get <laughs> I'll take that. You know what? Just just the fact the rules that we played and we were able to do that in that air and all that stuff. I got a lot of respect for him, and I'm sure he's got a lot of respect for me because it, it was a tough role to do, but we did it, and uh, you know, he also had a lot of skill, and it was great playing against him. So. <laughs> Gill, Denny Lambert, Hal Gill says, I'm giving you no option. 6'7, 240. Hal Gill. Yeah, meanwhile, Rogers uh, going with Ken Melange. And that was the original. And this is what Mike Keenan likes to do. And especially when you have lost to a team 8 to 3. Well, Denny Lambert and uh, Hal Gill still exchanging. Look at Denny Lambert. Yep. I oh, guess caught him there with a Look couple of rights. I mean, like I said, Hal Gill is six foot seven. Denny Lambert is 5'11. And he gives up 40 pounds on top of that eight inches of reach. Or height at least. What a great answer by Denny Lambert. And I'm not sure there was already an altercation on the ice. Well, the two altercations broke up. This is the second. These guys both might get tossed. Denny Lambert, uh, the heart is six foot oh, five at least. Hal Gill heads to the runway, and uh, Denny Lambert goes to the penalty box, but we'll, we'll see if what Darren is saying uh, takes uh, takes effect here because... Well, the only way Denny can get out of it, I think, is if Hal Gill is given the instigator. I went back and watched the fight, Kara, between Preds alumni Denny Lambert and Hal Gill from 2000, and anyone can. It's on YouTube. Just type in Denny Lambert, Hal Gill. That was not a tie. That was not a tie. Hal got beaten by Denny Lambert, who is, as they said on the broadcast, eight inches his junior. But his heart is 6'5". <laughs> How many fights was Hal in where the opposing team's announcers were like, what a fight to go up against the big, bad, bruising Hal Gill, who's six foot seven and the tallest player in NHL history. And all. Hal's heard it way too many times and probably would be mad we're even talking about it. But uh, yeah, Denny Lambert won that fight. Sorry, Skillsy. Well, at least they would, at least they claimed a tie. They yeah. kept things mutual. Yeah, they agreed on the tie here in the present day, which is just inaccurate history. But Lambert did a ton of that with the Preds. 218 pims in 76 games in the inaugural season for Denny Lambert. We got a shout out to Lambert's Lair this week as well. The old fan section from year one at Bridgestone Arena showing up in some of those throwback videos. <laughs> that was awesome. That just that cracked me up so much. That's turn of the century NHL hockey right there. December 4th, 2000. Hal Gill of the Boston Bruins against Denny Lambert of the Atlanta Thrashers. And our other interview of the week, Kara, you said it way back in the first segment of the show. Preds lost 4-1 with two empty netters to the Panthers on Monday. Empty netters always mess up the final score. I, I think you should put like the real score in parentheses or something. But that was a 2-1 game that the Predators really had a chance at. They lost 4-1, and in an interview before the next game here on Preds Radio, Pete Weber was ready to make that same point to Andrew Brunette. But a game the other night against Florida, the final score that people read in the newspaper I don't think is a great, accurate representation of what sort of game that was. Yeah, I don't know how many people read the newspaper anymore, Pete. <laughs> I'll go along with you there. None um, to read. Yeah, no, I'm exa- none to read exactly. I miss the newspaper. <laughs> how good is that? Bruno misses reading the morning paper, and Pete might be uh, reading it to him at this point. <laughs> hey, that's so funny. <laughs> that got me so good, and uh, we ended up going back and forth about it for the entire radio broadcast on Thursday night for the game against the Wild, uh, beginning many segments talking about tomorrow's headline today. <laughs> I don't know, Max. Do you read the newspaper? Uh, I have never gotten a print newspaper in my time in Nashville, but I always did um, growing up, so I I wish it were still what it was, but... um. I mean, here we are in podcasting, the hot new form of media, saying we miss the newspaper. So uh, allies between old and new, but Preds Radio especially, an, an ally of the print product. And I told Pete and Hal my final thought with them for the night is that by the time they get to Edmonton at like 3 in the morning after that game, I'd have the next day's paper already waiting for them at their hotel rooms in Edmonton. And it brought up a big question that we're going to have to get Hal to weigh in on more. Are paper boys the original bag chuckers? They just might oh. be. 
I don't know. I mean, I think about my dad used to deliver newspapers when he was a kid and he had a bike route like that was his jam. So, so you don't know. Uh, They might be the OG back checkers. A fun note to end on here on a very fun POP. Shout out to the inaugural team for coming back and joining us this week. Next week, we are hopeful to talk to another Preds alumni who's hoping to become a current Pred. Cody Hodgson is on a tryout agreement with the Milwaukee Admirals, made his first pro game in almost eight years this week. We hope for him to be our guest next week on the POP. Three more games before the All-Star break. We'll see you Wednesday night at Bridgestone Arena at 6.30, early start, games on TNT against the Kings. For Kara Hammer, I'm Max Hers. Thanks for listening to the Predators' official podcast. I was used to, you know, 20, 25-minute easy walk through practices. I got here and it felt like I was in a frickin', uh, you know, Soviet Red Army. Yeah, I don't know how many people read the newspaper anymore, Pete. <laughs> <laughs>